the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Ying and yang. How to find balance in your life. How to find balance in investing. How to find balance when it comes to investing and spending your money. When I first moved to the Bay Area 20 plus years ago, I was surprised at how few um, how shall we say uh, horrible franchise restaurants there were. You couldn't find a franchise restaurant. And when you're on the East Coast, you kind of get comfort from a lot of the franchises. You're like, ah, another Cheesecake Factory. It's going to be just like the last Cheesecake Factory, which I like. I don't like going to new places and trying new things. I don't like spending big money to find out, oh, that that chef is too aggressive. It's kind of a yin-yang, right? 20 years ago, there weren't any. And I was like, where are they? I was used to them. Now, when I go back to the East Coast, I'm like, man, there's a lot of franchise (laughs) restaurants here. And you can't have it best of both worlds, can you? Or can you? It's crawfish season. Uh, my, one of my favorite restaurants is a local one in San Mateo, San Carlos, um, Belmont area called Criolla. It's got a really, really cute owner. Um, when I say cute, he's just delightful. Um, happy. Talks about food. Talks about food in a happy way that makes you happy. But it's crawfish season at Criolla. So Criolla Bistro. It, that's the type of restaurant that doesn't exist anywhere else. Run by a game, run by a man named Edwin, and he doesn't exist elsewhere, and he doesn't franchise it. So there's kind of this important thing that we all need to hold on to is our local restaurants versus our national restaurants, and it's kind of a yin yang thing. You know, your kid, you get tired of feeding them fifteen dollar mac and cheeses, so you eventually break down and go, "Okay, I'm going to get him a dollar hamburger at McDonald's." It's better than a $15 mac and cheese. It's, they're both probably not terribly good for you, but $15 mac and cheese just infuriates me. Kind of a yin-yang. Same thing happens with investing. I want to find the next ESPN. Do I wish I can go back in time? And the first time I ever saw SportsCenter, I want to say it was the late 70s. And Chris Berman was doing the football highlights back when football still meant something to me. Packer fan, when Lynn Dickey was throwing, you know, for 400 yards, but he was throwing for five interceptions along the way. I loved Sports Center as a kid. As a child, I loved Sports Center. I wish, as an adult, I knew. I wish, as a child, I knew what I knew as an adult. That's a pretty darn good business model. You get your local stations who did the. Coming up at 11, sports with Vern. I love Vern. Vern's my favorite sportscaster. But he's kind of regional. 
I'd like to see Vern on a national level. And there's only one that I can think of, really, ESPN. And then a couple years later, 40, along comes Fox Sports. And they're trying to compete with basically entrenched, beloved company that's been with us for as long as we grew up. Now, Fox had to do it because they saw business in what ESPN was doing, and they're like, we'll take their crumbs. So finding the yin and yang, which one do you want? Do you want the national ESPN show? I'd rather watch national sports highlights than local. But I do like the local talent better than the national. So there's a company out there that I I look at and I go, interesting. Now, first and foremost, the ratings for the NFL have gone up for the last two years. A lot of people think the NFL is going to rush Da-da-da-da-da-da! Doing my own sound effects. Da-da-da-da-da! A lot of people think the NFL is going to rush into renegotiating with ABC, NBC, Fox, ESPN, TNT, Google, Amazon, whoever wants to buy rights to the Super Bowls or playoff games or game packages or Thursday night games or games broadcast by women or games broadcast in Spanish. It's open for negotiation again because ratings have gone up. Now, what's that gone up in, in lieu of or tied towards? People are saying that it's probably gambling as legalized gambling has hit the United States in more and more states. A lot like the story with legalized marijuana, there are going to be some investments. Sadly, not sadly, I need to be careful. Um, I'm not trying to say sadly, I'm trying to say something along those lines. Uh, Not unfortunately, there is a scarcity of investable assets Due to sports ratings going higher, other than ESPN. But then you get into some like angles, like maybe Fox will get some more money out of it. You're like, too big, not going to mean much to them. But one that interests me a lot right now is Barstool Sports, because they're trying to show us something, and I don't really have to say go enjoy Barstool Sports. Uh, they're an app. They tend to, like, the main media, mainstream media will say things like uh, baseball teams are upset with the Houston Astros for cheating. But Barstool Sports will go and they'll find one player like CeCe Sabathia from the Yankees and they'll go, CeCe hates the Astros, thinks they should vacate the World Series. And it turns a little bit more bitter, which is good news. So to me, watching what Barstool Sports is doing, they're infusing sports with mobile phones with gambling. I will be, I'll be honest with you. When I see like um, the Super Bowl's over under is 48 points, I'm like, oh, I think they could blow that on the first quarter. Gambling does make sports a little more interesting to like hang on to. Again, if you have a gambling problem, please consult someone. Um, I don't, I know people who live in towns like Reno and Vegas and they do just fine. Um, I don't know how they do it. So, but they do things like they go to the casino and get steak dinners because once you spend $500 on a slot and you're part of that email campaign or that mailer campaign, you can get free meals pretty often living in those cities. Anyway, Barstool Sports is kind of merging gambling with sports media. What if they were to buy a casino? It would be even more interesting to me. So sometimes I like some of these hybrid businesses that happen. Again, I own nothing in gambling that I can think of. I do probably in S&P 500 funds. But we know it's going to be around for a long period of time. I think. 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about money, investing, and more. Um, we're going to have a big seminar coming up on the 6th of February. These are free events for radio listeners who haven't been to them before. Please don't sign up if you've been more than three times because we will ask you not to and we'll ask you to leave. Uh, but you can sign up at Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. There's limited seating, so you can sign up and um, get a copy of the podcast. But that's going to be February 6th in Palo Alto. I hope to see you there. So I, I think the, the whole goal of that segment was to say, look at businesses that sometimes get into other businesses. And look at plays on that. Barstool Sports still doesn't get me into the next ESPN. And, yeah, I am intrigued by the fact that ratings have gone up tied towards the high likelihood of gambling. I'm like, that's probably not going to go down. If I could invest in it, I would. Um, but I, I don't figure, I can't figure it out. So um, what's the next ESPN? It might be ESPN. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. It's earnings season, and as earnings come out, the markets are finding some reasons to let go of some recent gains. It's been big. It's been up. Um, Is it China? It's not China. Is it a little bit of fear of the coronavirus? Maybe a little bit. But I like reasons to go lower. You don't always have to hit all-time highs. Sign up for the seminar at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. The Cookie Apocalypse. Yes, that's when the Cookie Monster has been shot full of gamma rays and turns into a monster that destroys the world. No, the cookie apocalypse is the death of third-party cookies. Browsers through the years have getting been getting a little bit better about phasing out support for third-party cookies. And Google is the final one to say within two years they're done. It's got major implications for how retailers approach advertising. There's a third-party cookie that I've seen Chad do this with NewFocusFinancial.com. I guess you're just buying cookie ads or something like that, Google ads. And once you search for New Focus Financial Seminar or something like that, you see CFP Chad Burton everywhere. He's in your cookies. He is. Um, third-party cookies, major implications. Could be a plus, though, for companies like Target and Walmart. Third-party cookies are pieces of code. That basically track what a user sees or does, what websites they hit. It helps advertisers figure out who gets their ads and who doesn't. Most commonly used for ad retargeting, behavioral advertising, Google is pretty dominant. It will limit the number of ways retailers can target and advertise across the web. So... TV once was kind of almost stupid. We knew like 102 million people watched the Super Bowl. But we didn't know if they were male or female. We didn't know if they were rich or poor. We didn't know if they were Spanish, Russian, 
English speaking? We didn't know. So advertisers would just say, okay, well, we don't really need a bullet shot into day traders. We just need a bullet shot into banks. Because we don't know if there's any day traders out there. And slowly but surely, the cookies kind of started giving you know bullet shots into a demographic. When you look down a scope and all you see is like the head, blam, you blow it off, right, as a sniper? As an advertiser, you're looking for the headshot. You're looking for the cleanest kill possible, the easiest possible target. Mozilla started booking third-party cookies by default. They're blocking third-party cookies by default for all users in September. I'm inclined to say let's go with Mozilla. <laughs> because I... Do you see what I'm saying? Like, this whole cookie apocalypse could become an issue for companies like Apple and Facebook. Excuse me. Google and Facebook. And some... Ad, some acquisitions that Google has made, like DoubleClick through the years. Now, you have to go way back to know about this one. But tracking third-party cookies, that was the business DoubleClick was in. I.e., they wanted you to double-click on the ad. So how would Target, Walmart, and Kroger all benefit? They would benefit from Google killing off third parties because they would start their own advertising networks within their own browsers within their own internet stores. So Target sent out a pitch deck last year touting its first party data as a key advantage. Um, as Facebook and Google really hit the crosshairs of as Google and Facebook really hit the crosshairs of politicians this could become a, a nice plus for Target, Walmart and Kroger. Um, but anyway, I won't get too far into that. Just know that I'm studying up on it. Um, so rather than showing you like a Nike ad because you were shopping for shoes two hours ago, you'll get a Nike ad because you're reading about the Olympics. That's what cookies are all about. And the contextual, contextual, textual, contextual. For some reason, that's tough for me to put together. Um, targeting means a user based on what page they're visiting or not can kind of go away. It's a win for someone. It's a loss for someone else, right? And isn't it fun to say in the word cookie apocalypse? Speaking of cookie apocalypse, let's talk about another disaster. Um, the direct to consumer DTC has become a big investment theme, whether it be like Warby Parker glasses or Casper mattresses, Casper mattresses. The Casper mattress is the direct-to-consumer mattress. We've heard the commercials. Now, here is the companies trying to come public. I, I don't get it myself. Sometimes I feel like, well, why do they need to come public? Their losses are increasing. Last year, they recorded a $92 million loss. Those commercials aren't free on the radio. That's compared to $73 million loss the year before. Now, if I were to, if you were to say... Uncle Rob, I want you to invest in my company. I'm like, tell me a little bit about it. Well, our revenue increased from $250 million to $357 million, but our losses increased from $73 million to $92 million. I'd be like, come back when you've cut those losses down. But Wall Street's like, nah, uh-uh, we want to go to public now. So Casper saw a revenue growth of 20% compared to 2016-2017 of 45%. 
So they're teeter-totter, which has the revenues going up while the losses come down, isn't going up fast enough and isn't coming down. So it's not even. And that worries me. Because they're trying to say, okay, our losses are getting faster, but our revenues are getting slower. Time to buy. (laughs) No, 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 no. Casper's a trailblazer on how they've negotiated the digital space. It grew its business online. It is an antithesis of brick and mortar. It's got some tech-adjacent ethos rather than high-margin retail business. Casper's raised a lot of money, but the big thing is, will they be able to come public? I don't see it. I I feel WeWork ruined them. I think there will be a lot of good companies come public in 2020. But until I see their numbers improve a little bit more, it's going to be tough to say, we likey-likey. I know likey-likey at this point. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. One of the things that I am able to do is I can sit back and listen. It's an incredible skill that I learned in college. Stop asking questions, sit back and listen. People complain endlessly, and I can hear it. One of the big talks on Wall Street is people complain about incessantly is the Federal Reserve. They get a lot of credit. And what's interesting to note about this, let's just do a quick lesson so I can bring everyone up to speed, is they control one interest rate, the Fed funds interest rate. It's not that important of an interest rate. Some people think the Federal Reserve does it kind of incompetently, adding human emotions onto something that should be based on quant data tied towards economic activity, tied towards inflation, and tied towards the employment and full employment, or what should unemployment look like. The Fed's job is to keep us employed and to fight inflation. Now, if you think about it, what has inflated? Or how can the Fed fight inflation? Let's talk about that first real quick. They can print money. They can buy securities. They can buy stocks and bonds. They can sell all that stuff. They can raise interest rates. To enhance the economy, they would print money. They would buy stocks. They would buy bonds. To slow down the economy, slow down inflation, they would do the opposite. The Federal Reserve controls interest rates, and the stock market's going parabolic. The Federal Reserve is supposed to fight inflation. Isn't the stock market parabolic inflating? Is it the Fed that we blame, or is it the baby boomers that we blame, or is it the millennials that we blame? Baby boomers are a giant demographic. They're a bulge in the population. We made babies after the war. Um, Baby boomers are responsible for the prosperity that we enjoy in the United States, in my opinion. Now, they could be responsible for the downturn in the economy that we won't enjoy. So they'll go from heroes of saving money for retirement, of buying homes, 
helping our economy to zeros by pulling all that stuff out. Baby boomers have done a great job of having high salaries. Thank you for paying your taxes. Now, the problem is, in the last 10 years, we've started seeing baby boomers retire. And we don't want that, because that's when they start living off their retirement savings and no longer contributing to society and paying taxes. I know I'm, I'm making this very, very rudimentary, but I have to. When they're no longer paying off taxes, they're living off their savings and they're living off the taxpayers. You've heard now President Trump talk about fixing Social Security. That came up, along with more tax cuts. But fixing Social Security is going to be making you work longer or giving more or getting less. So sometimes in the next few years, a lot of these retirees, also known as unsavers, dis-saving, negative savers. Am I saying anything negative? Am I going to get a letter written to management? You can't call savers who don't save negative terms. You can't say they're the anti-saver. We will experience capital starvation in a different way because the boomers are saving their capital and spending it down rather than investing in new capital. Stocks should go up. Interest rates should go up. Stocks should go down as the boomers pull their assets out is is what I'm trying to say. Um, Demographics are destiny, in my opinion. Also, I think you could say there was some destiny in in owning land at one point in time. As countries went, I claim Louisiana for me. Uh, They've got new oil. I claim Saudi Arabia for me. But demographics and geography are destiny. I think ideology is also destiny in the world of investing. The good news is we're going to experience a shortage of capital for a number of years. That's bad news, Rob. It's actually good news. The good news is there's another large generation coming along to pick up the slack from the Generation X, who we just can't do what the boomers did, and we can't do what the millennials do. It's the millennials who are going to save the day. Times are going to be hard for Generation Xers in our peaking years because as we're peaking our earnings, taxes are probably going to go up. As the baby boomers slide into death post-retirement, they no longer vote when they're dead. So it's time to say, let's raise taxes on the elderly. I've never really paid uber amount of attention to demographics I know people that ignore them completely demographics provide a very very clear trend in the United States you don't have to be a a master chess wizard to figure this out stocks go down long term yields go up and the Fed goes in overdrive to forestall what looks like a recession it cuts short term rates a lot possibly in a negative territory and the yield curve steepens dramatically what happens in real estate in this, this scenario? Boomers unload their primary residences. They downsize. And the indebted millennials can't pick up all that slack. Now, this is kind of a macro doom scenario. I'm not Dr. Doom. I see no way of... Sh- of, of 
I see no shortage in ways that the United States could get into problems. If you studied Japan and their demographic situations, you saw how they got into problems. They like taking care of their elderly. They don't have a, a president that says, we should cut benefits to the elderly. Nope. Culturally, not going to happen. So I don't think there's an escape from this baby boomer cashing out to Generation X not being able to consume like their parents did. To the millennials coming along and getting high-paying jobs and contributing to the economy by buying homes and making babies. Um, So at some point in time, we're going to look and say, okay, Japan did teach us. Don't think that stocks go up forever. Because they are going up forever, but not in Japan. Investors in Europe probably don't think that stocks go up forever either. There probably isn't a country in the world that thinks stocks go up forever, except for the United States. What we have now and what we've had for years is a historic gap between stocks and bonds, i.e. financial assets and other assets, commodities. At some point in time, people believe naysayers, negative, say that the commodities will have their day. If you listen to CFP Chad Burton, who will be at the seminar February 6th, talking about income and retirement, if you listen to him, he talks a lot about the Kalen periodical of returns and basically it's this it's, you know you remember what a periodical chart looks like they've broken down stocks and bonds small cap big cap international cash they've broken down into categories what works well in any given year historically if you look back and the leadership changes all the time there's years like the 1970s where inflation is king and commodities rule the day and you wish you had more So demographics don't give us a clue on timing of when this asset change is going to happen. But it does tell me, like, the way the top 10 stocks are running, eh, be careful. Let me give you an example of some baby boomer ideas that no longer fit. For a while, baby boomers loved Tommy Bahama, the clothing company. They loved Harley-Davidson. And they loved AOL. To this day, whenever I see someone with an AOL email address, Steve C at AOL.com, I'm like, that's an old person. And for the record, I'm Generation X, and I one day will be the old person. And all I'm saying is there's baby boomers, Generation X, and millennials, and we're going with that. So the baby boomer cause prosperity should tap out. As they created wealth for 40 years, they'll start spending it for the next 40 Just throwing that out there. Both, you know, that that can be kind of scary to think about the positives. And then when you think about what caused the positives, it could keep an open-ended question with that could create the negative. So I don't want you to get too caught up in negatives. I really don't. Um, I can tell you the 10-year treasury back in 1980 was about 12 to 14%. I got a mortgage back in 1990 when... 8% 8% was considered a good mortgage. <laughs> and it's crazy to think about. Now we're like three and a half, four. That's great. The difference between eight and three and a half, four is monumental. It would be like, oh, let's go through a 3.4 earthquake 
And then let's go through an eight. You'd be like, that's it's crazy. It gets crazier. So anyway, I hope you learned that I'm not always looking for the positives. I'm looking for the negative, too. And I just gave you demographically the reasons why. I think the baby boomers are going to get tired and going to start living off their assets more and more. We have had a recession in a long time. Next time that happens, you're going to see some spook. Just like we haven't had a big earthquake in the Bay Area in a long time. Next time that happens, you see some spook. And by spook, I mean people leaving and not coming back. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Big event coming up February 6th. It's in the Bay Area. It's in Palo Alto. It's at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Download a copy of some of the new downloadables. Getting ready for retirement. There's a lot of information at newfocusfinancial.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. This is a show dedicated to getting you to retirement. I pledge if you listen, I'll try to dig up one or two nuggets for you per day that'll help you financially on the road to retirement. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. He will be doing an event with me February 6th at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto, Retirement Income and Tax Planning Seminar. Um, I always like these beginning of the year events, Chad, especially with the year 2020. My first radio show was called 2020 Insight. You should have kind of some clarity on retirement, and yet we don't. You just sent me an article on retirement issues. You want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge part of what we've been preaching for years, which is you have to have a withdrawal strategy. So there's a Forbes article that was posted, I believe it was yesterday, um, and I'll put it on the New Focus Food, uh, Financial Group Facebook page, or you can go to chadburton.com and find the Facebook link there. But it, it talks about the sequence of returns and, and what a large risk that is when it comes to retirement planning, because a lot of people think that retirement is just a number. Like, if I get to this golden number, this lump sum amount of money, I'll be able to live till the day I die. But then there's mistakes that you can make, and there's also the sequence of returns, because we always hear that the stock market averages you know, 10 11% throughout history, right? And mm-hmm. it's, very vol- it's, it's usually double-digit returns up and double-digit returns down, so it's not a flat 10 or 11%, not even close to it. And it depends on when those returns come, whether they're the good returns come in the beginning of retirement, the end of retirement, somewhere in the middle, or it's just a flat return. And this article is one of the best examples that I've seen that shows three portfolios with the same average annual rate of return, and two of them are disasters. One of them works out okay, and it's all about the sequence of returns. And uh, so I, I really want people to take a look at it so that they can really so I can press on people that they need a withdrawal strategy in retirement. I kind of have the response to that, Chad. Oh, I'll get to it when I get to it, because I don't know if I'll have a million dollars or two million dollars, and I'm still five plus years from retirement. Do I need a withdrawal strategy? Because I'm kind of all over uh, yeah. the place. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, it depends on you know your retirement date. I like to start people to really focus on the, the the main part of that strategy, getting to retirement, having the proper amount of cash once you get to retirement. Um. Well, I actually like, because you hear me say before, five years before the date you retire, I want your portfolio to look like okay. it should look the day you're going to retire. Um, because a three- to five-year period is a short period of time in a stock market. Usually, within a 10-year period, you have a recession, 
And recessions typically come along with a uh, up to a 20% market correction somewhere before or after the actual recession numbers come in. And a recession is just three quarters of negative economic growth. So what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to wait to set your portfolio up like people did in 2007 or in 1999, where they're like, I'm going to retire. I'm going to go on my big bucket list vacation. I'll get to my portfolio when I get home. And I'll get it more conservative or set up the withdrawal strategy once I get home. And then all of a sudden, six to 12 months later, the market's in decline, and they still have to pull money out to pay their mortgage, to put food on the table, to take their next vacation. And all of a sudden, they've turned a market decline into real losses because they were forced to sell. Instead of setting up their withdrawal strategy in the beginning, they were forced to sell, and that's when mistakes are made. I'm with you on that. Big event coming up on February 6th in Palo Alto. It's um, a good chance to start the new year, right? Looking at income and retirement. You and I are talking a lot about this. Um, people can sign up for the event at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. One more thing that I could throw out there. Um, like you said, there's a lot of things that people can grab at newfocusfinancial.com, including podcast to your show that you do in the mornings before this show. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what people can get from the seminar coming up, Chad, that is February 6th, and people can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Well, a lot of it is, is creating the withdrawal strategy. So you have to have okay. the, a right amount of money to be able to retire. So we talk about you know, what does retirement truly cost? What about the health care issues? What about the things that you're not thinking about? What about taxes? How do you do IRA to Roth conversion strategies based on the 2017 tax law and now the SECURE Act that was just passed? two major pieces of legislation that affected retirement. Um, but I go into the withdrawal strategy very deeply. That How do you get through good markets and bad markets, right? Because they're going to come. 70% of the time, the market's going to be positive. 30% of the time, it's going to be negative, most likely throughout retirement. Um, you can't time the market when you're building wealth. It's a total waste of time. You'd rather just buy the good stocks, collect the dividends, reinvest them, and add all the time. But when you're retired... You have to time the market, but it's not how you think. It's not all in or all out. You have to make sure you're timing the points where you've spent some money, the market's up, you peel some gains off the table, you replenish the cash that you've spent. So how do you create a withdrawal strategy to get you through the tough times that come not very often, but they come? And if you make mistakes during those tough times, you can affect 35, 40 years of retirement. And again, the sequence of return article is, is something you want to check out that, that shows you um, specific examples of the order of returns and how that affects the math of retirement. Sounds good. Chad, people can find you at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You'll be on in the coming days, and people can listen to your show in the mornings. Uh, there's a lot of good downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. Quick question for you. What do you think the big story of 2020 is going to be? Is it going to be the stock market returns based on valuation? Do you think it's going to be the coronavirus? Too early to tell. Am I putting you on the spot? What's going to be the big story of 2020? Hmm, the big story of 2020. Well, I, I don't know. You know, the stories always sound the same after a while. In 25 years of doing this, it's just kind of different players. So yeah, you remember SARS not too long ago? It seems like it was, SARS was a years good ago. radio. It was like 13, 14 years ago. Yeah, so we have something like that going on. Um, the, the, the things that cause the 
the typical market shocks are things you're not talking mm-hmm. about that much. Um, I think if we continue this growth pattern that we're on, it could be a little bit of surprise inflation and the Fed's returning to the idea that, oh, we might have to raise interest rates. But who knows? I mean, it's just it's a guessing there game at that point. It is a guessing game, but you do a great job at it. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. Big event coming up at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. Sign up at newfocusfinancial.com, February 6th. Listen to commercials. Use code RADIO25 if you've never been to an event before.